Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. You are listening to the Original Thinking and Creative Innovation podcast. My name is Ben Talent. I am your host. Thank you for checking in. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're good. I hope you're all feeling creatively motivated and fired up because that's the way we like it. It doesn't happen all the time. We all know that, but it's nice when it does. <laughs> the weather this week is unpredictable. I'm going to go with the obvious because we've got the brilliant Lucinda Rogers joining me on the show today. We'll talk about her in depth a little later, but um, it's just want to say it's a great pleasure to have her on. She's one of my first inspirations in the illustration world when I started to get serious about my career. So we'll talk about that soon. But first, I would like to thank my wonderful sponsors who make it possible to do this show free every week. I still hope that's a good thing. I hope you're all enjoying the show. The numbers continue to creep up on the social, on the followers on SoundCloud. Uh, reviews are coming in, so please do drop us, drop us a review if you get a chance over on iTunes. It means a lot and helps the show greatly. A few of you have gone and done it, so thank you so much to those that have. Illustration Limited, my agency, first through the door. First sponsors, they believed in the idea for the show early on and showed great faith in taking a chance and it's been going from strength to strength, thanks to you guys and your and your uh, crucial support. So thank you, thank you to those guys, uh, representing over two hundred artists, illustrators, set designers, fashion illustrators, lettering specialists, live illustrators. Great range of people, great range of talent. Wonderful team work very hard, and uh, and also for the industry, supporting the industry, they work closely with the Society of Artists Agents, the Association of Illustrators, another keen supporter of this show. Uh, and they do great work, so please do go and have a look and check out the fantastic portfolios, news sections, animation sections, TV sections, very cool website, lots of cool work. Heart Internet, uh, my digital and tech sponsor. They are a fantastic team of people who work hard to bring not just SEO, uh, website and domain name options that you can buy, but also great support in all of those areas because they are very crucial to what we do. Don't have any bullshit sponsors on the show. I wouldn't just ram somebody down your throat. I have to believe in who they are and what they represent for my show and listeners. So every week they bring us a digital tip something that's hopefully going to help you out on your social and your Google rankings and your website design. Go and have a look at all their support on their website and their social media. They're fantastic. Um, I thought I'd talk about a more sparing use of social media this week. Since we've got Lucinda, whose work is driven by the on-location and and being in the eye of the storm and being in the moment, and it's something that makes it so engaging and offers a great depth of storytelling. But Lucinda uses social media quite sparingly and, and for me, quite effectively. It's less is more. It means something when she does pop a post on there, a tweet or whatever it may be. Um, For me, it was always about the intrigue. Uh, we'll talk a little later about where I discovered Lucinda's work and why it means so much to me early on in my career. But I just think you can you, you don't have to saturate it. I think we all feel a little daunted by this pressure now to be constantly at the forefront of social media. Um, I'm a bit of a junkie for it, but I do quite enjoy it and I like the storytelling side of it. And there are very rarely pointless selfies and cat videos and all the nonsense that goes on. Um, I keep it professional, I keep it relevant to what people hopefully like about my work, the ink spillages, the textures, the journey, you know, the on-job stuff behind the scenes, and I think Lucinda does it an absolute treat in a less is more fashion, so take a look at her Twitter account, which will be in the show notes, um, and get a nice little example of why it doesn't have to be prolific. If you want to spend your time on the work, on the meat and bones, that's fine too, because I think there's something to be said about the mystique and the intrigue that comes along with that use of it. So that's a tip this week from heartinternet.co.uk. Printed.com, last but not least. Fantastic supporter of the show. I write two columns a month for these guys, so go and check them out. It's freelance advice, freelance stories and lessons learned. Uh, they do a lot of great work to support the creative industries as it goes to show. Supporting this show, they help me do that for free every week. They're wonderful printers. They're my printers that I use personally and for this show. So go and have a look. Over 90 different products, all sorts of different cool finishes on their products. Great customer service. Uh, fantastic company. Increasing amounts of uh, recycled stock going on, which I'm a huge advocate of, and I know a lot of people that I know want that now. People are thinking more and more uh, in certain areas about the environment and about our response and our footprint so if you're like me and you want to feel good about that they do some fantastic recycled toothy stock like the stuff that I use on my own 16 page promo booklet so go and have a look and all the rest of it 
Um, and the tip is an easy one this week because Lucinda has a fantastic print shop selling like, knockout pieces of work. Um, it's the epitome of, of printed beauty. It really is uh, the, the gorgeous, organic style of work the, and the way that Lucinda draws. is n- There's no better way to represent that than, than in her uh, prints and her originals. So it just says something about how that work ends up. And um, we'll get onto it shortly, but I, I found Lucinda's work in the picture book, I think, originally when I first came across it. Double page spread blew me away and gave me great faith in the naturally loose drawing style that I was starting to discover at that point. So we'll get onto that shortly. But that is courtesy of printed.com. Thank you very much. Um, that all being said, let's talk about Lucinda Rogers. She was a very early inspiration for me, and she was one of about maybe six to eight illustrators who shared the space in my university um, on my work desk. So I would have images of inspirers, you know, sports people. Um, Damon Albarn was a chief inspirer for me. And, of course, I had a handful of illustration work that I would either dig out of The Guardian or I would cut it from old books. Um, I would buy prints and stick them up there and try to feed my mind with the stuff that was turning me on creatively. And Lucinda was right up in the middle of it there. And she was someone who, in her work, portrayed such an expressive use of line, line weight variation, all these key things I was trying to understand and trying to learn the importance of. And at a time when simplicity is often quite daunting to the student and something that we avoid because we feel like our tutors want to see something more complex and more detailed and and we equate that to being good when actually sometimes naive and unfinished can be real, real beautiful and more powerful and say a lot more with a lot less. And Lucinda was someone who who gave me great strength and belief that that was valid too. Uh, And I've got a lot to thank her for for that. So cheers, Lucinda, for, for that and also for taking the time to actually sit down with me and give me some wonderful insight to that journey which we're going to get onto today we're, we're going to talk about what it's like drawing on location what how do you capture that moment do you does she ever take a photograph does she place a great importance on on the, the realistic representation of what it is that she's chosen as a subject to create in her work we're going to get onto all that stuff we're going to strip it all down and it's a great conversation with a, a wonderfully talented lady so i hope you agree and i hope you enjoy um do get us your feedback on the Twitter, please, at Arrest All Mix. Like I said earlier, drop us a review if you get a moment. Um, there was a wonderful event recently um, between, it was a collaboration between iMagazine and the, the Association of Illustrators, and Lucinda Rogers teamed up with uh, the brilliant Olivier, Olivier Kugler, who is also a fantastic reportage artist, uh, journalism through drawing for anyone that doesn't know. And they did a great event. It was called Draw the Truth. And it was an evening of a reportage illustration back in February. So that went down a treat. And, um, you know, it's just it's worth saying that, that there is a great market for this stuff and a great world of reportage illustration that you can go and check out beyond this. Hoping to get Olivia for the show down the line. That would be wonderful too, to get his own stories. But for now, it's all about Lucinda Rogers. So I hope you enjoy this show. Thanks to last week's guest, Stephen Blisk, uh, the man behind the, the iconic Grand Theft Auto artwork and so much more knockout stuff. The evolution of his career recently has come on leaps and bounds and it's so impressive when we talk about all that stuff. So you can go back and listen to that along with the other 69 episodes that are up there. And today being episode 71. So thanks for checking in. Thanks again. Get that feedback over. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lucinda Rogers. So, well, what's your background then, Lucy? Where are you from? And, and sort of, I was like, I'm always quite interested in what, if people came from a creative family or whether it was a natural instinctive thing or whether it's something you came across. Uh, well, I think I just started drawing when I was, uh, when I could hold a pen, I just started and that, and no one could really do anything about that. But they didn't stop me, so they did encourage me. Mm. And uh, I had a great uncle who was an artist. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely something that was encouraged. But uh, no no sort of direct descendants who were artists. But uh, also uh, school was quite an artistic... uh, Art was had a position in our school Mm. that was... A good position, you know, it was seen to be on the level of the other subjects, which is quite crucial actually. It wasn't a rainy day subject like it can mm. be in some schools. Okay, I see that because that's very uh, topical at the moment. 
was that do you feel that was very important yes i do i think that um the the ethos of the school was very important and i've always been constantly surprised after subsequently when i when i when i meet people or, or when i realize that that is not the normal thing you know that that the creative subjects are seen as somehow uh not as important and in the hierarchy mm. it's a very word based country i think this this country you know if you've written a book that's huge currency but and and i think everybody sort of puts that above everything else and uh, it's a real pity because as we all know um many people are creative and you need to try and bring that out mm. and despite our global currency as a creative leader it's kind of ironic isn't it yeah. that we still battle that mentality and it's almost yeah, i've been ironic. to other countries uh, most recently japan and belarus i went to minsk and there's this glowing love of the uk and what comes out of here creatively and i found myself being quite cantankerous and saying I wish I could show you what I've seen and actually what we're having to battle with at the moment and they were quite surprised by that. Really? Yeah. They were they were quite shocked to hear that actually the government are quite getting it. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, well we've got a big we we've got to battle, we do, yeah. Yeah. And with music as well. Yeah. I think we do. I think we all have the responsibility to a degree. We have to fight for what's ours. Yeah. So, did you did you study? Uh I went to Central Foundation and then St Martin's for graphic design but I specialised in illustration after the first year because everybody did a general graphic design course for the first year and then illustration and then I went to Edinburgh for a year mm. for a sort of postgraduate so I changed scene How was that? I love Edinburgh as a city I find it a very inspiring place visually Yes, exactly. I loved it there as well. I, I found it really beautiful and I, particularly the, the sort of monotone nature of it. It's very grey, but there's so much detail if you look. The buildings have got so much detail. So it's a kind of monotone, decorative place. And also these amazing shapes of sort of silhouettes of buildings because of the difference in height, mm. heights. And so I spent a lot of time drawing in, drawing Edinburgh itself. Yeah. Did that have a big part in playing what your style had gone to become? Yes, I think uh, that year I was just sort of left on my own and learned to sort of go out and just draw, you know, go and find something to draw and draw. Mm. Um, it, it did have a big influence. That was also the year that I went to New York for the first time during that year. So I, I had two things in two huge sort of visual um shocks i suppose and i that was an that was a great starting point when you think about two places to put quite close together like that edinburgh and new york that's a fantastic contrast it is yeah i called my exhibition i for some reason i gave my end of year exhibition a title i called it from central park to salt and sauce <laughs> that's excellent Salt and sauce is, uh, That's a great you know, title. what they say in the fish and chip shop. Yeah. <laughs> That's, so, what, so, so how do you found the roots of what yours... I mean, I, okay, it's a very, it strikes me as a very organic style. Was it something you had to, to, to battle? Did you find... Okay, what's the question here? Did you find any barricades in, in the, the, the fluidity of your work? Because as someone who went through quite a few years of, of struggling to, you know, of always reverting back to that kind of preciousness that I had when I was young. Did you find it easy to, to, to draw as you draw or was it something you had to kind of work for to embrace? If that makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, I, when I look back at pictures from that time, I, I feel I was trying to be fluid. I, I was, um, it's a mixture of not, not knowing what you're doing and therefore it can be quite good because uh, you're, you know, you're not, you don't, you're sort of just doing it or not knowing what you're doing and it can look quite awkward so mm. you sort of it's a mixture of those two at the beginning and then if as you just carry on and on you sort of get used to it it's almost like getting used to any sort of um, movement or 
you you get used to having the pen in your hand or um, making those marks. Yeah, so it it develops like that. Artist as reporter. I found that I, that's so simple, but I like I really loved that description. It was that the plan, or is it was it something that happened quite accidentally? Because it's you know I, what you tend to find is at least you know you have these categories: editorial, advertising, design. Did you have a did you have a plan, or was it an accidental journey into that happening? I think I must have found out that that um, drawing was used in, for example, the press. You know that there were reportage articles where the, there were there were drawings done instead of a photograph, mm. and so though I was told that that was all you know that that was all over because it, it was obviously something that was much more in the 50s for example oddly enough playboy magazine in the 50s used to have amazing um line drawing uh, articles serious articles in it. oh wow and um so that was a sort of and then photography of course took over soon after but um some line drawing was was still used, and I thought, well, I want to do that because that that's that's what I like doing best, drawing from life. So I asked somebody if I could do a piece like that, and she gave an art director gave me uh, a, um, an article, a series of articles about some chefs. So I started like that. I I asked if I could okay be sent somewhere. <laughs> okay, that's very cool. That's quite a proactive um, attitude to take as well. Yeah, well, I I suppose I'd already done some normal illustrations for this person, so I got a relationship with her and, you know, that sort of mm. thing. But in general, I do think that people should be proactive. You know, if you... I don't see the harm in suggesting things. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can only be told no. It's very true, actually. I champion it a lot because there's been times um, when that's paid off. Grandly, you know, where yeah. I've seen an opportunity and thought, why are they not doing that? And, and actually gone and suggested it rather than sitting on. The, the truth is, you're not. If you don't suggest it, it's not. It might, it's probably not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So why not? Do you, that's something you still do today. Are you still do you, are you do you still sort of lead from the front to that end? Um. Yeah. Well, I I suppose how that's developed is that I've just um I just do my own work and exhibit it mm. when when it when I when the time is right. So I've sort of, in a way, um, gone out of... Uh, I've, I've sort of um, uh, taken the art director out of the picture. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just doing it for myself. So yeah. nobody, nobody has to give me it. You know, nobody has to um, mm. say yes or no. <laughs> that's, the, that's the glorious but thing. But yes, generally I do still. That's the glorious thing, isn't it, about styles that are really just coming as... Flowing like yours is not as a, as a natural thing and something you began to do anyway. It, it tends to be, it works the other way. You kind of lead people to you to a certain degree. Yeah. Which is a wonder, must be a wonderful feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we all just do it and sort of see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's the bottom <laughs> line. You just, you want to draw, so you draw and then everything flows from there, really. Mm. How did you, did you have sort of good tutors? Did, did you... In terms of steer and advice, did were there any was there anyone who saw what you were going out and doing anyway, and and, and suggested routes that might take? Our tutors uh, were very proficient in their fields uh, as illustrators at the time, but and what was sort of a little bit difficult for, I found was that they were doing much more decorative styles. This is in the eighties. The style was very painterly in a way and as I say decorative Mm. and that wasn't really what I was doing at all and so in terms of sort of looking at somebody who I could who I wanted to be like them there wasn't really anyone but I remember when one of my tutors said you must learn to draw hands (laughs) Mm. properly because if you're going to draw people and you're going to draw reality you must draw hands otherwise they'll let you down so there were sort of little bits and pieces I think um, unless you have a sort of one main tutor, it's the it's it's sort of everything is an influence in a mm. way, and also your fellow students have, are a huge influence. That's very true, actually. And what they're all doing, and and that's why I think small you know studios where you can all be together, 
seeing what everyone's doing are, are really, really important. You have a studio now? Yes, yeah. but in, in a school, in a college. Yeah. Um, uh, hopefully you can... I, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit bothered by the sort of hot desking in college where you have to set up your space every day. That's really hard. Oh, and, I wouldn't and, have um, liked that. No, I know. And, and I think that it's much better when you can sort of see someone's space and see what they're up to, you know what I mean? That, you know what, that's a really good point, yeah. Just those, those moments, I'm thinking back to college now, but they're just those moments where, you know, we had the, the classic white kind of boards with a desk in the middle, very plain, but just things tacked everywhere. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just those passing conversations of a tutor walking past and kind of stopping and, and picking something out and going, what's that about? Why have you? And, and looking at that with a fresh eye and, and opening up a new way of you seeing that is not something I ever consciously thought about, but now that you say it, actually that's kind of crucial to see the way someone lives almost in a yeah. professional environment. Yeah. I that, mean, actually, everyone does make a little space for themselves, even in an office. You know, they sort of place their things in a certain mm. way. Where did you go to college? I went to I went to Keighley College um, Art Department, which now no longer exists. It's part of Leeds College, and I studied graphic design. But it, well, that was very loose. It was more of a foundation. They uh, had us doing a bit of everything, a bit of ceramics and grumbling about having to write things. The classic <laughs> student attitude. And um, and then I went to UCLan in Preston University of Central Lancashire, and I did illustration BA. And what's the thing about um, arrest all mimics? <laughs> it, actually I was really t- I find titles the hardest things and for many many different things and um, I was struggling with a title for the show that wasn't very self-explanatory which I sometimes look back and think maybe I should have been a bit more does what it says on the tin but I have a, I just have an issue with um, taking too much influence and not so much plagiarism as such but I just think uh, I can think of nothing worse than losing that originality and finding my own way no, it's a great title, and and um, also I think at college, going back to college again, I think one of the best things I we we learnt was um, sort of thinking around things, not not just how to draw like somebody else, but try to define your own what you want to do yourself, mm. ways to come up with new things. What we are, what we are triggers on. I mean, what what were you into? Taking drawing out of the equation, what did you like to do? What were you, were there were there any tangible inspirations that 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 kind of fed your creative soul? Uh, I used to go to the theatre and cinema a lot. I think um, I I nearly did theatre design. I love the theatre, and so I I suppose that's in a way very visual, of course, and so in a way the mixture of of the word and the picture is has always been really interesting mm. to me. Um, London, um, you know, it's got its good and bad points, hasn't it? But the benefit of being in London was that a tutor might say, well, go and look at such and such a picture in the National Gallery you know, mm. in room 503, uh. and then you'll see something. So not only was there that, but, but all the advertising and the sort of zeitgeist you can pick up, I think, in, in a big city. And, and that's always been uh, something I've been aware of. And mm. Streets, and uh, then I started getting into drawing architecture and drawing the city itself. I always remember when I was... In, and So New York really is, I suppose, traditionally the epitome of a city, I think. And I always remember the day when I was walking across a road and coming the other direction was a, was a man with a snake round his neck, an enormous snake. And I just thought, oh, there's a man with a snake round his neck. Okay, fine. Because it was it sort of seemed, anything can happen. Isn't it great when you're in, in a place York. where you don't think twice about yeah, something like that happening? That exactly. speaks volumes for the... <laughs> it's sad that that... that, you, that, that so you know you go to a small town and that would be weird and it's like although maybe that's got its own beauty actually oh definitely yeah. that you can't you can't really it's not a competition in a way it's just that the fact is that that's in a city there's could anything could happen <laughs> I'm looking forward to asking you a few questions in a little bit actually about that about some of the things you've seen whilst trying on location um, did that did you feel comfortable from the, doing that from the off because I know that some people 
struggle with the idea of you know being seen in public in any way yeah. than, you know doing anything other than existing um so, did that take some time to warm up to or did you feel quite comfortable from the off actually i i remember that one of the first things that happened on foundation is that we were told to go outside and sit in the street or oh, i think it was go and find a skip and take something out of it and bring it back or and then go out. and we did do drawing on location we we were forced to do that and we were forced to get over our self-consciousness that's a great exercise because it's something that a lot of artists struggle with i find yeah along the way um so that would you did that i mean what were you like were you confident as a person or would you say that had a big was that a big turning point was that something that really helped did it did it work essentially yeah i mean i think if i because i really wanted to draw something i i just wanted to do it so i would find a way of doing it and mm. if i'd been so self-conscious uh if the self-consciousness overcame the want wanting to draw it then i would have done something else but yeah it was just you know you see something and then the next step is where should, where could i sit to do that you know is it a practical place mm. and just do it do you ever sort of go not uh, break in's too strong but do you ever have to, do you ever have to sort of really work to get to a certain location once i i stood on a ladder looking over a wall um for quite a long time because it was a view that you could only see from the top deck of a bus <laughs> very quickly so and the, and the wall was higher than a person so i had to stand on a ladder so yeah brilliant that kind of thing and then sometimes uh, uh, for example when i did this picture of st paul's um the reason i wanted to do that was that the whole thing was it was incredible the north side of st paul's was open to view because the the 60s buildings that had been there were pulled down so for a short time before they put the re- the, re- the next lot of stuff up that facade all the way along the north side was open again you could see it from a bus <clears throat> so i asked uh um i had to go and ask i think it was bovis you know the building company mm. if i could go there and i had to have I had to be given the sort of health and safety and he sort of thing, oh, for God's sake, just leave me on my own. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me the helmet and the, <laughs> yeah. the high-vis jacket and just go away. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I stuck on some scaffolding. So, yeah, there are, mm. if you really want to. I found it very... usually a way. I had uh, David Price on the show, who is a, he's a photographer at Arsenal Football Club. Um, I've not released the episode yet, but... Again, even just within the Emirates Stadium, that you know, he, he was annoyed because one fan went on one of the stadium tours and ended up sneaking in some toilet and staying in there overnight, <laughs> and they ended up getting up on like you know, the stadium roof somewhere. Great to which idea. point, now they've had to padlock some of the the upper doors, which were his little back door routes to get in these great shots down on the pitch. So now he has to work harder to get access to these places around the stadium because of one rogue fan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite a funny image actually. Create this kind of yeah what creatives have to do to get places for that you know the right reference or the right place to work from yep (laughs) so what's your kind of week-to-week existence now do you work on a commission basis or like you mentioned do you do you do you go out and do your thing i do a mixture really i do Mm. either if a commission is on i do a commission or um if it isn't then i do my own work and Mm. at the moment i'm working I'm starting to work towards an exhibition at the House of Illustration, oh, which opens on Halloween this year, and it's going to be about um, the changes in London, um, in particular around Dalston, mm. uh, and how London's changing and revolving around um, Ridley Road Market. So I'm going to do a sort of long look at one small place. Mm. And what sort of time span are we looking at here in this? Well, the work will be done between this month and sort of September. Oh, okay. So you're going to work with a short window to to yeah. document the change. For me, over that's that a long time. window. <laughs> oh, it is in a place like this that moves so fast. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'm going to be doing that um, regularly. Yeah, that's very cool. I'll I'll be uh, very excited to see that. Yeah. Do you do? Do you tend to 
do you move around quite a lot, or does is that subjective? Does that does that is that determined by job? I mean, do you spend blocks of time in one you know one area, one very refined location, or is it is there an instinctive decision making process? Um, well, I've 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 had this sort of passion for New York since I went all those years ago, and I've tried to go back, um, and I have been back regularly ever since. So I've, for some reason, been always drawn to that place. I I will never get bored with it, and so I, in a way, I've always planned to have some time there to do drawings. Mm. Um, and you can you can finance that by doing work there as well. Um, yes. Which I've done as well. Although, have, having said that, I think it's very difficult to do commercial work and your own work, sort of, certainly on the same day, yeah. or in a way, in the same week. You, so in terms of, you know, periods of time, I think a concentrated period of time in one place is very valuable. Mm. So I've been there a lot to do that, and also I've started to go to Marrakesh, which I was sent to for a job, but I really loved it and I wanted to go back, so I went back to do my own drawings. And then I had a show about Marrakesh last year. I have never been to Marrakesh, I would very much love to go, and I've heard nothing other than it's just this wonderful hive of senses, uh, you know, sensory overload and, and yes. activity. And when I think of your style in Marrakesh, that must be a, a, a beautiful relationship. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think, as you say, this, the, the visual overload is, is really immense. And the, I think it's something to do with the beauty and everyday things. So even just a little stall with bread on it, the way the bread is placed mm. is is not something you see <laughs> in London it's 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 the sort of simplicity but beauty mm. together and such a lot of decoration as well because I love decoration actually and pattern and there are so many patterns and and sort of and decorations uh, everywhere so it's very it's very different, and that's why I like it. Yeah, I, I was when you mentioned simplicity, it made me think of I was looking at a lot of your work before before the show, and I really loved. Um, I really like the food stuff, like the onions and the simplicity of that. Beautiful, and that. Did you find that hard? To, I mean, did was there ever a time when you did you ever feel in, in any way guilty about the simplicity? Because I know that some people really struggle with that, particularly students. If ever I visit universities. Hmm. I find it something that really you really have to work with a lot of students to for them not to feel that something that is simple and maybe quite quick to do is not in some way wrong. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't come across that. I, I really haven't come across that sort of feeling of guilt. No? No. Because the amount of time someone will, you know, the classic thing of they'll show me a finished piece and there'll be nice things there, but it feels a little... Like there's been some pressure on there and then you know you asked for the sketchbook and I went through this myself quite a lot and you opened the sketchbook and you've got all these wonderful just little you know so almost subconscious drawings and yes. this flow of, of wonderful mark making and then the challenge becomes to 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 successfully convey why that is is wonderful and why that should be um, something not to be shied away from yeah I've just thought I think that the difficulty is that uh, college or school you you think right I've got now I'm going to produce my major piece of work mm. and you think okay my major piece of work has got to be has got to look like a major piece of work and it's really frustrating because you do your major piece of work well I, I remember this happening at college and the tutor would come up and say hmm here's your major piece of work well let me see your sketches and, he, and they'd say oh that one that you just did in five minutes that's actually better you're just what you're saying so you think, well, how can I resolve that? And in a way, it's sort of financial. You see, you don't want to use the expensive piece of paper just for a thing <laughs> that you might get wrong. But in a way, you have to. That's you have a, to have yeah. the bravery. And also, I think you have to have the bravery to get out of your sketchbook because there's a 
a sort of psychological thing of if you're on your sketchbook, you can make a mistake and turn over the page. Mm. So yeah, exactly. It's meant you you've got to sort of bring the spontaneity and the sort of well, this is a finished thing together. Yeah. But that that takes practice. Would you recommend working on location as someone who does that so much as a as a as a way to overcome that? I say that because yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. I just look at the, the the energy and and the flow in your work and I and the speed at which people come and go and things change and things move and. I am. I would I be right in assuming that um, that you don't have time to procrastinate and you have to capture that. Yeah, you do. Um, exactly. You can't really procrastinate. Otherwise, you look a bit weird sitting by the road, just sitting there, yeah. <laughs> doing nothing. Um, so you tend to get there. I I get there and I start working. Mm. Of course, there is a sort of looking, looking, looking at what you've done, and but yes, it's totally to do with what's happening in front in front of you which keeps the drawing alive i suppose mm, but there are many ways of working you know from life it doesn't have to be all sort of look like a, a moving picture it could be a very very detailed picture of the front of a building or something mm -hmm. you know it doesn't have to be oh no for in a certain style it's just the fact of you are there and there's nothing in between you and that and, and the subject. Yeah, I just, I just, I always imagine. You know, when I, you know, the, I don't know. I just, I, I see your stuff, and I just think adrenaline. I think you must be in there in the eye of the storm, and you know, you've, you've just, you've captured something there that could never be conveyed with a, with a photograph or a, a memory, even. Yeah, well, a drawing that, stands is, alone. It, yes, it does. I always remember that quite. Um, <laughs> I met David Hockney at, at, an exhibition opening. Of course, that was very exciting, and I thought, "Oh, what am I going to do?" And I went to him, and, and I just said, "I I love your travel drawings because there's a those beautiful drawings he does just in very simple places, like in a hotel room and thing." And um, I said, "I draw from life, and and I love your drawings from life." And guess what he said? "Oh, you should use your imagination." So I was <laughs> devastated. <laughs> Really? And I thought, it's all very well, David, you know, maybe you're in the phase where you're using your imagination, but most of your work is, is very much based on um, being there in front of a person or something. Yeah. So, anyway, um, that was my brush with David Ah, uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> that's very interesting, actually, when, when I, as a fan Sorry of... about the uh, Yorkshire accent. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. As someone who lives with a, a southern lady who... Loves to mimic my accent at every turn really badly. I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I can't claim it. But if ever I am forced to, to mimic a Cockney friend, it's disastrous. So. <laughs> I can't laugh at that. We won't do that. No. <laughs> but I, I just I find that uh, really fascinating, actually, because I think there's a lot of imagination um, in your work in its own way. Oh. Hmm. Would you agree? Um. What do you mean exactly? I um, I see a wonder in your drawings. Um, whether imagination is the right term or not, I don't know. But I just see it. There's a wonder in in all these drawings of these locations. It makes me want to visit them, and it makes me. It's it's your it's you in that place you know it's your take of that the viewer comes at that from a, a whole you know a, a viewer reads that probably completely different to what you're you're presenting there. Because you, no one could ever see that like you've seen it. Okay, you've represented it in a certain way, but then that's that's that is then the ownership is handed over, almost. And I think there's a, I think there's a certain use of imagination in that which is far more powerful than something surreal or create something fictitious. I don't. Huh. I'm probably just rambling. No, there, I know what you mean. I'm just thinking about it. I think that the obviously each person like as we we, we there was uh, the 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 um a the AOI event that's just been was called draw the truth and we were saying of course each person if if they sat down in front of the same thing would do it differently mm -hmm. wouldn't we we would all draw it differently so of course our own head has is is being used and our own way of seeing something is being mm. used. 
I suppose that's the imagination. And I also, um, I think the word representation is interesting because that's what the artist does. They represent some part of reality. Mm. They represent the world to people. Mm. And so I suppose before you start, you've got to imagine what you want to what what you want it to be. So yes, you are using your imagination. Mm. Have you ever been to Japan? No. I would love to see your work of Japan. It's, I went there for the first time last year, and it, it, just what we said about Marrakesh, really. And yes. It's just um, it's a whole other world. Yeah, and I just I would just love to see you know because I I couldn't understand any of the language. It was also visual, and there's so much of it. That would be fascinating to see how you would how you would deal with that. <laughs> I would love to because I actually love drawing lettering, mm. and um, I know that when I think of Tokyo, I think of these many, many, many signs, that sort of chaos of signs, and I would love to draw that. And I think there's a I think why people have mentioned before that I should go to Japan is to do with the um, scale as well enormous mm. enormous billboards and tiny people God, and... yeah so in terms of your commercial work what are, what are your what projects stand out as some of your favourite stuff I liked your telegraph work by the way your restaurant oh thank you yes that was that was really an interesting the discipline of having to draw a restaurant every single week for four years very interesting because you it's almost like designing a book where you have to think which page goes before and after which page of the sequence so if you've if if I did um a particular sort of picture of a restaurant one week I would try I wouldn't do it the same the next week Mm. so I would uh, try to find which sort of view of the restaurant would be the interesting one to draw as well what was what was the brief sorry before before, the brief was just a, a size uh a size of the on the page to fill and I just did it okay beautiful and and the good thing about the papers is that they don't really have enough time to tell you to change it mm. and also I always worked at the last minute so there wasn't even still less time to you yeah know. so unless it was really terrible I, I would just have to fill the space mm. every week but um Another job that I really loved was going to Heathrow to draw the um, engineer's hangar um, one day, for example, because I love big bits of kit. Mm. I love aeroplanes, cars, boats, ships, big sort of uh, machinery, and that was really exciting. I can imagine that would be wonderful. I must must have a look at that stuff. That that because I, yeah, I understand that the, the that kind of larger than life, almost overwhelmingly yeah. big. I think that 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 is also the slightly the Tintin influence, because uh, I I think what was great about Hergé was that he was so precise about those those things. So those boats and trains and aeroplanes are so. Um, they're sort of extraordinary because they they are very they're they're based on reality, but they're simplified and they're his version. They're still sort of his version of reality. But I think what I always loved about those pictures was the realness of them mm. and the size. And the, he was very good at scale, obviously. And so I think when I when I was in a hangar with this gigantic aeroplane. Or next to its wheel, which was bigger than me, I find that really exciting. Yeah, my God, yeah, I, I, I grew up next to a, a woolen mill, um, and it was kind of in its last phase, really. When I grew up, we, we would just we would play hang out there as kids, and play down there after the workers had gone home. And it was the the size of the building, and, and when you looked in through the windows, I occasionally would get shown around huge rows of equipment and very very exciting for the imagination at a young age so did you read did you read Tintin when you were young yes I did yeah we yeah. had we we got through them very fast um have you ever had any particularly surprising jobs in terms of you know you've got a phone call someone's gone want you to go there and it's kind of blown you away a little bit 
I did um, do a, a, I think one interesting one was not so much the, well, the, the place was interesting, but also why what it was for. It uh, the the 24-hour financial news service Bloomberg. Um, I had to go there for a couple of days and draw the people working and the reporters and everything. Oh, wow. But this was because they had a cafe, and the drawings went onto the paper cups and paper plates. So <laughs> it was a sort of and the napkins. So it was a sort of strange kind of outcome for the drawings. That was an interesting. Very interesting, yeah. yeah. And what kind of reception did you get to that? Did people, were people, did they notice you? Were they comfortable? Yeah, I mean, I think what happens is that there couldn't, there can be an initial getting used to someone being there, but then usually they forget. Mm. So you just carry on un, undisturbed. Yeah. Do you do you ever get much reluctance, or do you ever get any negative reactions when you're out and about drawing? Do people ever? Um, I like the, I like the comment, why don't you take a photograph? <laughs> <laughs> the Neanderthal comment. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> why don't you just take a photograph? And you sort of, yes, it's freezing. Maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that'll be yeah, that's a very, a nice uh, cup of coffee in to, with my photograph. Actually, that is a question. Yeah. That's very, uh, it, there's so many factors in answering it. <laughs> But no, um, well, hang on a minute. Yes, when I was in Morocco once, I wanted to draw a particular man. He had a fantastic face. And uh, his friend saw I was doing this. He came up to me. He asked me for my sketchbook and he took the pen and he scrabbled, he, he, he scribbled it out. Oh. <laughs> well, that's one way to be... Uh... <laughs> Completely clear that you're not happy. Yeah, but, but I'm. <laughs> that's fine. You know, I think somebody has to give their. Essentially, somebody should give their permission to be drawn. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't him. It was his friend. So he was working on behalf of his friend. <laughs> but I think that's fine. I respect that, of course. It's almost nice because it's got the person's stamp on there as well now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the best picture I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd have, at that part, I would have loved to have just sort of seen your face when started doing that. <laughs> just sat there and uh, a little shell shocked. <laughs> one, one of the, one of the standout pieces that I really loved, and I was looking at your work, was um, the, the from a January sales piece, and the man just sat there with shopping bags, and it, it almost seemed like he's staring to the middle distance in this world that he did not want to be in. <laughs> Is there? Um, are you? Do you feel like you're quite? Ooh, don't know about. Have you honed a sense of what you know? What the key thing is in a, in a scene or a moment, um, or what the almost the almost the hero of a of a of a drawing is or should be? Yes, I I think yes. The challenge in that particular drawing was: would the man, the man is the one I want to do, just surrounded by all those shoes? Mm. Uh, is he going to stay there? Now I can't remember whether I asked him to sit for a bit longer, but it's terrible when you see the the perfect, you see the subject, and then it changes. That, mm. That's really difficult. But yes, it, it very much so. The the picture often has a very specific focus. Yeah. So you're never tempted just to take a quick picture as well. Just no, no, as no. A backup. No, no, no. I, I admire that. No, because um, I can't really get the same interest from a photograph mm. it's so sort of I, I just find it uh boring and i think that gives your work a whole uh, a whole different level of, of kudos too in my opinion i think as an admirer of it it appeals vastly more to me knowing that that's that's the case you know everything is live everything is done in the moment i think that's that's wonderful actually thank you mm. Because just that, I, I, I just it just made me laugh on a number of levels, and I just, um, just captured him absolutely perfectly, and, I, and just that kind of, uh, there's a, I can almost hear the sigh coming from it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a really nice commission. It was um, they just said, could you draw something about the new year? 
So I thought the January sales. <laughs> really good take on it. That's very, very cool. Who's the commission for? The Guardian. Okay, that's cool. Mm. I used to do a lot of stuff for the Guardian. I haven't done anything for a while, actually, for them. No, unfortunately, um, they use less and less illustration, which mm. is a real shame. Did you ever work for Roger Browning? Yes. Yeah, it was Roger gave me one of my very early breaks, actually, in The Guardian. Yes, was, Roger a... is a fantastic art director who gave many people their, mm. their you know, great work. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, I think this, we were talking about this last week at the event, Draw, uh, draw the Truth. They, um, the art director is a key person because they have the imagination to see uh, how something could be portrayed by a particular illustrator and which illustrator would mm. fit the fit the job. And sometimes they can see it more than the illustrator can. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we really need great art directors to continue coming. And that's a real challenge for graphic designers, I think. I've, we've, we were also talking about this, the fact that in colleges, what's, what should be happening partly is that graphic designers should learn how to use illustration. Because mm. they are the ones who give us the work. That's a really, really good point. And I'm someone who's benefited from some wonderful art directors who have, as you said there, um, have seen things that I was maybe even five years away from, you know, seeing. And maybe never, maybe I would never reach that stage, who knows, but just that fresh perspective of someone who understands what it can do and where it might live. Yes. Um, is invaluable. That's a good point. I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah. There's, do you think there's a danger then to that in the in the, in the, the sort of speed and the pressure now that is on a lot of art directors and designers to maybe settle to you know carry two jobs or workloads and things like that? Hopefully, it doesn't become a victim of that. Well, I think there is that pressure, but I feel that the art directors in in at college aren't just simply learning the basics of. of how you use illustration and so if they don't even know about that then they can't then it's not a choice they can't even have Mm. you know make that choice the reason I'm saying that is that um there are some colleges where the graphic design department is in a different town let alone a different part of the same city you know they're they're just they're separated whereas what I think was great about my course I did it at St Martin's was that the graphic designers and the illustrators were together so you had a sort of sense of what the others were doing Mm. but um, I think that it is a very specific thing to to learn to how to use illustration I think how how to um, think about a job from the beginning and, Mm. and see how illustration could be used instead of photography or instead of typography or mm. whatever it's just it's just something they need to have in their yeah I couldn't agree more bag. yeah because if the two are kept completely separate then you lose a beautiful thing don't you coming together of those disciplines yeah hmm. so what's going on coming up anything exciting in the pipeline apart from um, the exhibition well um I suppose that's the thing I'm focusing on and I'm doing some drawings for a hotel um, in Switzerland. I'm finishing those and just I'm concentrating on London still Hmm. for this period of time and I'm involved in how London... I'm trying to... In this exhibition, I'm trying to sort of focus my mind on how London is changing and what I think about it, because I think we're all quite bothered about the how London is changing and how the things we like about London are being uh, lost gradually or suddenly as well mm-hmm. and replaced by things that seem very bland and like everywhere else. And so I'm trying to think of ways of portraying that. Because mm. that is about um, trying to portray uh, the future in a way, rather than the present. So I'm going to see how that turns out. Very excited to see that. I think. And then you said that would be the House of Illustration 
Yes. Halloween. That's right. Brilliant. Okay. That's cool. I love that. And where, where, so where will there be news on your website? Can people keep, yes. keep up to date with that, uh, the news on that exhibition there? Yep. Yeah, which is, what's your website address? lucinderogers.co.uk Super. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And, and so the last bit I would ask my guests, it's a section I call the shark in the tank. It's quite an on-the-spot question. But About Damien Hurst. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. It's, it's, it's certainly influenced by that. It's one of my favourite pieces of art, and um, if not the... Uh, like the, the, the division of it so I ask people for a love and a hate or a positive and a negative and it can be as playful or as serious as you want within loosely within the, the creative world okay well in terms of being in a city and how you experience the city the negative is the fact that Pret-a-Manger is and many other places Lyon and so on they're just everywhere and once you're in them you could be anywhere. And also, why do the people working in them have to talk in this sing-song way and smile? Poor things, they may not be feeling happy. I don't mind if they're not happy. They don't have to talk to me like that. So I feel that we're in a very sort of controlled environment. Mm. And so the opposite of that is going to, for example, Pelicis in Bethnal Green Road, a family-run East End restaurant cafe and you feel the exact opposite you're in somebody's domain mm. which they you feel their family their father uh, who's now died and he his photograph is there and you feel the sense of all the people who've been there before and it's a beautiful um interior with veneer 1930s style sort of decoration and that's the exact opposite and I really appreciate that environment and I think we all do in a way. That's an absolutely brilliant answer for my best so far. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more actually. Um, you mentioned New York there and some of the places I've, I've been lucky enough to go in, in New York. I went to uh, I don't know, the name always evades me but my brother always remembers it and I get lazy knowing that. Anyway, so it's a, a guy, the guy who runs it is an Italian-American guy and he's just such a character and it's him and his mates always sit around this corner on the table there's about five of them and it's brilliant the, the conversations they have they just get so animated and they tend to be like me and my brother sitting in a corner just kind of listening in enthralled and I just love is that is it in Little Italy? Um, it's no it's in it's in Lower East Manhattan and it's on I think it's maybe, maybe Third Street um, can't remember the address but I, we go there every time and it's just such good fun going in there and they, they, they come over and have such a good laugh with you and, that, and things. I just love that you know why would you not want that individual mm. single experience I mean the thing is we, I know that we want we, we need both you know sometimes we're in a hurry let's not let's not make too much of a grey area but we need the Pret-a-Manger sometimes but I think that the whole if the whole world is Pret-a-Manger then that's a serious problem <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes back to uh, that one of my favourite books and, and films actually is Fight Club, and it's a very funny bit in that where he talks about in the future, saying the uh, the IBM Galaxy and Planet Starbucks, and you know he's kind of fed up with his life of IKEA and uh, and then that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I agree. It's the balance, isn't it? You need the balance, sure. Mm. Brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much for your time, Lucy. Pleasure. Thank you so much to Lucinda for taking the time to sit down and have that conversation. Uh, lovely lady, really talented, uh, an awesome experience to go and spend time with her in London and, and see the stuff up close and personal and hear the journey and just see the environment in which she exists because that's one thing that I truly love about this show. So thanks again for that. Get us your feedback on the show over on the Twitter at Rest All Mimics. You can always hit me up personally if you don't want to go public. Hello at bentalent.com. Um, all the links for Lucinda will be in the show notes. As ever, thanks again to last week's guest, Stephen Bliss. Uh, we've got some absolutely fantastic shows coming up and some great interviews lined up too. Um, in the next few weeks, we're going to have the brilliant Andy Council, Bristol-based street artist and illustrator. He is a great guy and a fascinating character too, and, and we've got some great stories coming from him. We've got Karen McLeod, a London-based author. She's absolutely fantastic, and she's going to join me for a special episode on character design and character development. So keep 
tuned for that one. It's a real, it's a, it's a belter. Uh, for a little homework, go and check out her alter ego, uh, Barbara Brownskirt, the world's worst poet at the 197 bus stop in Penge. <laughs> I'll leave that one with you. But it's a brilliant episode. I'm going to talk about the mechanics of developing a believable, uh, authentic, strong, successful character. So that's a good one coming up for anyone who might want to involve that in their work or just have a general interest uh, I'm heading to Dublin in a couple of weeks' time to talk to the fantastic Annie Atkins, who was a production designer on the Grand Budapest Hotel for Wes Anderson. Need I say more? She's awesome, and she's done so much more than just that, so we're going to break all that down, and I'm going to go and watch her in her awesome workshops in Dublin. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As ever, thank you for the ongoing support. Please do spread the word. Drop us a review on iTunes. Hit us up on the Twitter, at ArrestAllMimix. Let me know your thoughts. It's really, really valuable stuff. And keep the numbers coming, because that will going to keep the show going forevermore. So thanks, guys, and have a wonderful week. Enjoy the shows. Go back, check out the archive. SoundCloud, iTunes, always free. Thanks to those wonderful sponsors, illustrationweb.com, hatinternet.co.uk, and printed.com and the Association of Illustrators for their also awesome ongoing support. Cheers. Take care. See you later on. (laughs) 